begin worship by listening to the prelude. Please join me in the responsive call to worship. For those who have not been welcomed before. For those who have been turned away. For those who have been forgotten. Come, join together in worship of our God. Beloved, and we welcome each other to this place in the name of Christ.
Please be seated. As we enter into a time of worship, let us hear the words of Psalm 150. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty firmament. Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his surpassing greatness. Praise him with trumpet and praise him with lute and harp. Let everything that breathes praise the Lord. And in a spirit of prayer, gracious God, as we come before your presence this morning, may we know you are in us and among us through the words we hear and the music of our worship. Still our thoughts, open our hearts, and calm our bodies so we may hear you speak to us. And now, as we enter a time of silent prayer, let us bring our burdens and our joys to God. And we pray this in the name of Jesus, who is the Christ. Amen. If you please join me now in the prayer of preparation and confession as printed in the bulletin. Forgive us, holy God, for thinking we have you all figured out. We pretend to know who is in and who is out of our family, as if your care were not for all of us. We want people to be like us, or look like us, or talk like us before we help them. And so often, we welcome into our company only those whose presence will benefit us in some way. Forgive us, holy God. Reconcile us to those we have treated as worthless or unwanted, and mold us into a community where all your children are accepted, included, and loved. In Jesus' name, amen. Although the Pharisees are mentioned in the Bible as questioning Jesus about his Jewishness and about his friends, Jesus wasn't targeting the Pharisees with his message. The gospel Jesus preached was and is for all people in all time. The gospel is for you. God loves you and God forgives you. God no longer requires sacrifices to his name. Believe the good news of the gospel. You are forgiven. Amen. Let's stand and greet those that are around us. We welcome you here to this worship service and to those who are watching on the, the media program. Uh, if you're on the inside aisle, if you'll take the pew pad, sign yourself in, pass it on down. If you're a visitor, there's a place on the pad to give us your contact information. We also have uh, prayer request cards that are there in the pews. We have a smorgasbord of service opportunities that are happening in the coming month. The first one is to donate a backpack full of school supplies for an underprivileged child uh, to take to school. And there is a whole list of things outside uh, about how you can participate in this program uh, through City Team. Also a City Team on the 10th of August will be doing uh, the feeding of the homeless uh, people that night at City Team. It's called uh, Cafe Hope. And uh, it's a great opportunity to be able to uh, service there. You can sign up to be a part of that. 
There's another project that's happening uh, on August 10th, Project Peace. And then the Grateful Gatherings announcement that is in there. Grateful Gatherings is where you set up an apartment for a family that is coming out of homelessness and get them established. The date has changed. That's going to be August 3rd instead of the 24th. So you can stop by the table and find out more about that afterwards as well. There's also a notice of of an advanced thing. On October 4th, we'll be doing uh, a dinner there as well. There's an announcement about giving online and one about the community prayer boxes. Let us quiet ourselves, get settled, and be in a spirit of prayer together. Holy God, we enter into conversation with you with a sigh of relief. You are with us and for us. You want to talk with us. Hear now our thanks, our confessions, our supplications as we listen for your answers to us. There seems to be no end to violence in this world, peace-loving God. We seek answers, but we find none. We ask, when will it stop? But warfare continues. Strengthen us in these days with your word and with your presence in our lives so we may go from this worship with a renewed commitment to the peace and love that is embodied in Jesus. May we find new strength to live all our days as our teacher taught us. We pray for this world, creator God. All we have comes from you, our home on planet Earth, our food, our water, our air. Open our eyes to see the dangers we face by ignoring the rising temperatures, the contamination of our foods, the pollution of the world's waters and the disappearing groundwaters and the waste from our transportation, heating, and cooling that pollutes the air we breathe. May we learn with God's wisdom to live lightly and with humility on this, the only home we have. As storms rage and temperatures rise, we pray for all those affected by forces beyond their control. We pray that in times of need, neighbors far and wide will rise to help others survive and recover from disasters caused by heat and cold, by flood and dryness, by earthquake and human folly. Keep all of your children safe, parent God, turning to your wisdom and love for, our, for answers to our question, why? We pray for peace of mind as we approach yet another season of politicking and focus on our government. You, almighty God, have given us precepts to guide our lives so we may live in prosperity and peace. Renew our awareness of the frailty of humankind, both in body and spirit, and help the governing and the governed to accept our evolving culture with humility and grace. Only you, holy God, know the future and love all of humankind. 
We hold in our prayers this morning all those known to this congregation, both as the church and individually, who are in need of God's presence and God's healing power. We also hold in our hearts those who have specifically requested prayers through the prayer box ministry. Holy God, there is so much need for your presence, for your touch in the world. May we be your servants, healing God, in praying, in touching, in listening, in seeing, in doing all your work here on earth. In the coming week, gracious God, hold us firm on the path you have made for us, that we may ease the road for others and spread the goodness of your word to all we meet. We pray this through your Son, Jesus the Christ, who taught his disciples to pray by saying together, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Our hearts and bring to birth faith and hope and love unending. Word Almighty, we revere you. Word made flesh, we to see, speak and heal our mortal blindness. Thou art hopes and portion be, hide with us to show your kindness. Be our word in mercy spoken.
The scripture text for today comes from the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew was one of the two Gospels that were written by a disciple of Jesus, chosen by Jesus. And uh, what is it when you think of Matthew, what is it that you remember about him? His job, right? He was a tax collector. So we're actually going to hear Matthew writing about himself the day that Jesus came and selected him to be a disciple. He doesn't put it in the first person. He writes about it in the third person. But he's describing the call of Jesus that came to his life. Matthew chapter 9. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax office. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as he sat at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and sat down with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. May the Lord bless to our hearts and our minds this reading of his word. Some years back, the country western singer Garth Brooks had a hit single called I've Got Friends in Low Places. That could have been Jesus' theme song. He certainly does have friends in low places. Look who's eating with Jesus. Matthew, tax collector. Of all people, Jesus invited him to be one of the 12 people that were his inner circle. One of the 12 disciples. And then Matthew has invited all of his buddies. Half of the Internal Revenue Service of Palestine was there to celebrate his becoming a disciple, and then the other group of people that are just called sinners. So you can imagine the the tax collectors and the sinners, that's who was at this party. And Jesus is right in the middle of them. His disciples off to the fringes, wondering what to make of it. I can imagine Peter going home to his wife that night and her saying, well, what did you do for the kingdom of God today? And and saying, well, we went to a party with tax collectors and sinners. That doesn't sound like kingdom work to me. Tax collectors, they've never been popular, I guess, in any culture or country. But it is really hard for us to imagine how hated they were during the time of Jesus. Don McCullough points out that the Romans had an ingenious system for collecting revenue. They would offer the position of tax collector out to the highest bidder. And whoever won the contract would make his money by adding a surcharge 
to the tax bill that he gave to people. And you could be unscrupulous. In fact, there doesn't appear to be any particular amount that was added. It was up to people to decide what, what to do. There seems to be no limits, and everybody had to pay it. The tax collectors were collaborators with Israel's enemy, the Romans. The tax collectors amassed fortunes at the expense of their country's misfortune. They were universally hated. And Jesus invited one of these to be one of his disciples. And if it wasn't enough, he goes to his house to meet his other friends and to enjoy a good meal. Who else was there? Who else was in the category of sinners, prostitutes? Who knows who else? It was an unsavory group of people. Imagine someone said to you this week, Hey, have you heard the latest? Dr. McNabb was seen in a bar uh, last night with, uh, you know, the one over in the Tenderloin called Hustler. Uh, and uh, he was carrying on. You wouldn't believe who was there. There were skinheads, drug dealers, hell's angels, strippers, and he knew them all by name. They were his friends. They were his friends. Well, there would soon be a meeting of the personnel committee. Maybe the trustees would be involved. Uh, But the difference between Jesus and me is that I don't claim to embody the will of God. And Jesus did. Jesus said that the kingdom had dawned in him. The will of God was revealed in him. So you can imagine the shock to the other people when this one who claimed to be God was hanging out with these people. The Pharisees were so upset. Now, Pharisees have a very bad reputation, mainly because of the Bible. Um, But the truth is that they represented in their time the highest pinnacle in Israel's religious life. They were the cream on the very top. They were well-respected. In fact, they were as respected and admired as tax collectors were hated. They were the people who took God's law very seriously. They wanted to be right before God. They wanted the the nation to follow the laws of God. They knew their Bibles, and they knew that the Bible, the Old Testament scriptures, called for a strict separation between the moral and the immoral. You're supposed to stay away. They, They knew Psalm 1 by heart. Happy are those who do not take the advice of the wicked, nor take the path that sinners tread, nor sit in the seat of the scoffers, but their delight is in the law of the Lord. Here's Jesus taking the same road as the sinners, sitting right there with the scoffers. How do you reconcile the clear teaching of Scripture with what Jesus was doing, with his actions and his behavior? It was a choice between following this Galilean preacher and following Scripture. And you better choose Scripture, they thought. They wanted to know how Jesus could justify this behavior of attending this party with these people. And so they go and they ask one of the disciples. Now, why didn't they ask Jesus himself? He was probably too far into the party and uh, hard to get to without touching some of these other people. Didn't want to be contaminated. So uh, I imagine that they find a disciple, one of them that's on the fringe of the party, maybe standing by the door. They tap him on the shoulder and say, hey, what's going on here? Why is Jesus in here with these people? 
Doesn't the Bible say that we're not to affiliate with sinners? So Jesus figures out what's going on, overhears it somehow, or just intuits it. And he has a very clever response to the Pharisees. He says to them, well, um, those who are well have no need for a physician. It's sick people that need a physician. They're the ones to help. But Jesus knew the Pharisees would need more than a clever saying. They had to be convinced from Scripture. So he does something that he does very seldom, actually. Very seldom does Jesus quote Scripture, quote the Old Testament. But he does in this case. He goes and he picks a verse from the obscure minor prophet Hosea, and he lifts it up as a paradigm in which to interpret Scripture and God. He says, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. He's lifting up this one verse as sort of an interpretive principle, a way of looking at God, a way of sifting through all the different conflicting things that are in the Bible. He's saying, if you get this one thing right, you'll come close to understanding what God is about. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Jesus says that God is a God of mercy, who cares more about people being merciful to each other than he does about scrupulous religious observations. It's important for him to understand that. That's why he came. Don McCullough tells the story of George Whitfield, a great 18th century religious revivalist and preacher, had a big impact in England and in America. One day in one of his sermons, George Whitfield said that in heaven, there will be people who are the devil's outcasts. In other words, in heaven will have people that were so bad that they got thrown out of hell. They are the devil's outcasts. He won't even have them, and Jesus will have them with him in heaven. Well, Lady Huntington did not think that was correct and did not think that was a proper thing to say. So she goes to visit him the next day in his house to correct his poor theology. And while she is speaking with him, there comes a knock at the door. Whitfield went downstairs to see who was there. A few minutes later, he comes back and he says, Your ladyship, what do you think a poor woman had to say to me just now? She was a sad profligate, a woman of the streets. She said to me, Mr. Whitfield, when you were preaching yesterday and you told us that Christ would take in the devil's castaways, with those not even good enough to go to hell. He came in the Spirit of God, the presence of God in the flesh, the enfleshment of God's saving mercy. Yes, he sat at the table with Matthew and Matthew's friends because they too are invited to the table of God. In our day and time, who are the devil's castaways? Who are the outcasts in society? 
that we need. This morning in the Chronicle, there's all this uh, articles about homeless people. The homeless people that are such a huge problem in our society, they are outcasts. They would include people who are here who we call illegal aliens. People who are here illegally. They don't have the proper documentation. And they live in fear of being literally outcast because there are a bunch of people who want to cast them out. They are outcast. We could go on and on, different groups of people. For many years in the Presbyterian Church, the church that I'm ordained in, homosexual people were treated as outcasts. Literally, most of my career, they were not allowed to be ministers, elders, or deacons. It was only about 10 years ago that they voted to change that. And so much energy over the years, and still in some denominations, still to this day, so much energy is spent keeping them away from the opportunity to be leaders in the church, keeping them away, upholding, quote, the standards, right? We've got to have standards. We've got to keep those standards up. We must maintain those standards. In fact, to tell the truth, there are more than a few people in church today who are more comfortable with the Pharisees than with Jesus on this matter. There are people who would feel much more comfortable hanging in with the Pharisees and trying to limit the types of people that could be ministers or elders or deacons. I'm going to mention a name to you, and if you don't know this person, name, that's kind of a good thing. It means that you're relatively young. The name is Angela Davis. Anybody remember her? Old people? Angela Davis? She was, over 30 years ago, she was a black woman who was a communist, one of the head of the communist party, ran for president under the communist ticket. She was an atheist and a black panther. And she got in trouble with the law for providing, uh, buying and providing a weapon that was later used for a murder that she was not there, but, but she was charged with murder because of the connection to the weapon. And uh, she was there on trial. And the Presbyterian Church, the Social Justice Committee, made a small donation, a small grant to the Angela Davis Defense Fund. That became a huge, huge controversy in the church. In fact, compared to the small grant, they lost so much more money from churches not sending in their contributions, their per capita tax um, to the church. They lost it. It was a total uh, politically stupid thing to do. It wasn't the way I would like my mission money spent. I like African hospitals and shallow wells. But the, the reason, maybe now, all these years later, we can ask, why did they do that? Here she was, black woman, communist. It's hard to imagine somebody more despised in American life all those years ago. So I think there were probably two reasons. The first was that they believed that in America, everyone deserves a fair trial, that everybody deserves a fair trial. And the second thing is I think they may have given the grant as a symbol that there is no one beyond the pale. There's no one who's so far out and despised that Christ does not take an interest in that person. Christ came to dine, after all, with the Matthews, the tax collectors, and the Angela Davises. 
But it's so uncomfortable sitting at the same table with Angela Davis and Matthew. I mean, I can understand that. There's enough of a Pharisee in my own heart to know what they're feeling. It's all based on fear. Fear of being misunderstood. Fear of being contaminated. Fear of a bad influence. Fear of a loss of reputation. Fear. But the question really is, is what do we have to fear with being around those people if Jesus is also at the same table? What do we have to fear if Jesus is there as well, sitting there, present with us, with them? Jesus says, come to the party. There's a place for you here. But let's be candid. If we decide to follow Jesus, we're going to end up sitting at the table with some pretty unsavory sorts of people. We're going to find ourselves eating with all sorts of people. Now that may sound threatening, but it's really kind of liberating. It's kind of wonderful to be set free from worrying about your reputation, what others are going to think about you, from worrying about being contaminated by other people. We're set free to join Christ in a kind of holy recklessness that treats everyone at least as a potential brother or sister in Christ. So your question today is, who are you eating with? Who are you spending your time with? So imagine you're at work this coming week, and you're in the cafeteria, you got your food, you're looking for a place to sit down, and you notice there's Robert over there. Robert is a whistleblower. He's reported the company for violations. He's thought of as a traitor and hated by everyone. Nobody would sit at lunch with Robert. But where would Jesus put his trade up? Or you're in middle school. You, you just received an invitation to a party from a girl who is, well, they call her the queen of the nerds. She's totally unpopular. It would be social suicide to go to her party. Which party would Jesus go to on Friday night? Where would he be? Jesus calls us and gives us an opportunity to be with the kind of people that he hung out with. You know, that's what the church does today. That's one of our jobs. That's why I just gave you the smorgasbord of opportunities to hang out with homeless people, help feed them, hang out with people who don't have a place to live. We're coming up this coming month. We're going to get another family. Uh, the Refugee Task Force is going to resettle them. You're going to have a lot of, lot of opportunities to hang out with the kind of people that Jesus hung out with. So who are you eating with? On the first Sunday of the month when we have communion and I give the invitation to the table, I always say that this is the largest, most inclusive table in the world because everyone is welcome there. And I name different groups of people, but really the most welcome are the outcasts, the ones that the devil's castaways. Jesus says, of all the people, they are the most welcome.
Washington. Gracious God, we come to this familiar place and give in gratitude for all which we have received. We give not because we pledge to and not because we have to. We give because we can. We give in response to the life of Christ given for us. We give in joy because of love overflowing and unconditional. In Jesus' name, amen. Sisters, as you go forth from this place, I remind you that you leave as representatives, ambassadors of our Lord Jesus Christ. So live your life this week in such a way that wherever you are, when people see you, they'll see Christ living in you. And may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and always hold you in the palm of his hand. Amen. Go in peace.